do you turn on push notifications? Yeah, totally. I use Instagram a lot, and if I had my Instagram notifications on, there'd be too many notifications. I'd say like 95% of the notifications I got are email. Push notifications to me, it's like getting a package. You're just excited to see that you got a package or mail, but then you see the notifications like garbage, and you're just like, oh. I'm very much just allowing my phone to decide for me what gets pushed to my, my being. Car X drift racing, and it sends really annoying push notifications that are on by default, so I turn those off immediately. And plus I have an iPhone, it doesn't group them for me. You know, my phone buzzes, I'm like, oh my god, what happened? And they're like, how to make your favorite pies from the Great British Bake Off. Hello, welcome to Why'd You Push That Button, a show where Ashley Carmen, hello, and Caitlin Tiffany, that's me, talk about all of the decisions technology forces us to make. Forced. Mm-hmm. Today we're talking about push notifications. Quite the controversial feature of technology, I think. I think this has been the year of push notifications. Yeah, the year of push notifications is something that Ashley has said at least a dozen times without explanation. I don't need to explain. It (laughs) says it all. Okay, it's in the year of push notifications. Um, We're going to unpack that in this episode, (laughs) if you're confused. So, okay, I kind of forced Caitlin into this episode. Yeah, I think like probably 40 times I was like, don't you think maybe not? But I was overruled. Yeah, and I was just it, like, we must talk about the push notifications. And this is why, is because multiple people in my life have push notifications on for news. And every time I see a news push notification go off, I cannot believe they leave them on. That, to me, seems like an unwise decision. Who wants to be confronted with the news all day long straight to your face? That's that. I don't get why people have them on. But people I've talked to who have them on say, oh, well, I don't check the news as much as I want. I want to be in the know of what's breaking, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't get it. But maybe I'm a minority. Do you have? So we're we're interested in news, but I do think this can apply to everything because there's push notifications for Tinder. Every app in the world has push notifications. Yes. I have no push notifications except for text messages and Google Calendar because I think – They are almost never useful. They encourage you to get addicted to apps. They're also like quite often like kind of embarrassing and like create stressful interpersonal situations like Tinder notifications. I don't want those showing up on my phone in front of people. That's really like unpleasant, especially depending on who you're sitting there with. That's true. Tinder can be awkward. I know I'm pretty sure you have called me out before for having push notifications on for Instagram. Yeah, that's deranged. My younger sisters have that, too. And it's oh, like, I don't know why you wouldn't want it on for Instagram. To me, that's like pure serotonin. I'm like, hell yeah, give me those likes. Hell yeah, give me those comments. I want to I see that. But it's mm. nicer for me to like remember to go into the app after like six hours. And then but I'll like, forget oh God, about the app, I feel like, unless I exactly. get the push. But I don't want to forget about Instagram. I need these boosts to my ego. Okay, well, I just can't. Hand- Actually, no, sorry, I take it back. I also have push notifications on for my astrology app. <laughs> and well, that- we know where Caitlin's priorities <laughs> are. Whatever. Well, so Caitlin, you're firmly in the no push camp. I'm on the no push for news camp, but I also like them for other things. Sounds like we're kind of... Yeah. I mean, push notifications for news, to be honest with you, I spend so much time on Twitter. It's like there's it's literally no chance in hell I would miss. <laughs> I know. I'm ahead of the push. Let's be real. Yeah. I'm so connected. It's freaky. Anyway, 
Caitlin, we talked to a few people for this episode. By the way, everyone, this is going to be a long episode, so settle in. Yep. I talked to <laughs> two women, one named Megan, the other named Emily. Hi. Hi. And the reason I'm calling this year the year of the push notification, if I have to explain it, is because, if you all recall, in January, there was that push notification that went out in Hawaii. For 38 minutes yesterday, people feared that there was a missile flying through the air and about to hit Hawaii. And it's because of this alert. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Everyone freaked out. It was huge news, understandably. Turned out it was just false alarm. Some person in a room accidentally pressed the send button. His bad. I'm going to assume it was a man. Yeah. Now fired from his job as a Hawaii state warning officer, the man responsible for sending the state into 38 minutes of chaos is speaking out. So I called up Megan and Emily because they are Hawaiian. They lived on Hawaii. Now they live in California. I was there on vacation. It was my first time back in about two years. I was actually at breakfast with a friend and we had gone to a country club. Emily saw the push. Megan didn't. By the time I like looked at my phone and saw the push notification, I had already gotten the text from Emily saying that, like, well, it might be real, but, like, also it might just be a, a fake nuclear warning, which was crazy. Emily, however. It was really interesting because me and my friend were the only ones who were panicking because the only people who were at a golf course at 8 a.m. were, like, 75-year-old women. So none of them have smartphones. She was like, I'm going to do some internet sleuthing. She went on Twitter. She started investigating. All of the waitresses were crowded around me and my friend because we were the only ones who were, like, on our phones trying to figure out what was happening and was able to help others understand the situation. People who aren't as comfortable with technology, so typically the older generation, they were really scared when they got this push notification because they don't have Twitter accounts. They don't know about Twitter. None of the TV stations that were on had the thing going across your screen, so I didn't see that. I just got this really scary thing on my phone, and I have no idea what to do with this information. If I can interject, this anecdote makes it sound more like this will be the year that people start ignoring push notification. Oh, that's totally possible. I mean, it's the year of the push in the sense of we're all thinking, I'm thinking about push notifications. Okay. Because I never, I mean... Your interior life is fascinating to me, and I mean that in the sincerest way. I feel like you don't. We're going to move on because I'm not here to get defensive. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, beyond that push notification, I asked Emily and Megan if it had changed their mind at all about pushes in general. And Megan works. I work in tech. And she was saying that she thinks about pushes a lot and strategizes about them. In an age where so many people have smartphones, I think that when you're sending out push notifications, with that kind of importance in the same way that you'd send out a push notification that like your friend had liked your tweet or that somebody was posting like something on Instagram Live. It conflates the two in a way that they shouldn't be. And I think that that's one of the issues with push notifications and sending things as important as this out via that mechanism because everything is a push. And so you would have had to scroll through like several other pushes to see this like very important, potentially like life-changing push. Emily also thinks about pushes and says she likes them. She enjoys them quite a bit. I think it's the best way to reach people and just like let people know what's happening, keep people informed. I tend to believe my phone more than I should, so maybe that's why I just like figured it was real, but I don't know. That is a push notification so extreme that I think my first response would be to just like erase it from my mind and yeah, decide like, that I hadn't right. seen it. I mean, what can you do, right? Like if a missile is coming at your island. Drink a banana iced latte. Totally, which Caitlin has now turned me on to, and they are great. Who did you talk to, Caitlin? 
I mean, this is going to sound relatively low stakes compared to that, as would anything, I suppose. But I spoke to John Herman, who's a writer at the New York Times. Sometimes when an app will ask if it can send me notifications, I'll say no more often than I used to. He wrote this piece that I really liked about the red dots. You know, the ones like the badge icons on your phone that show up. It's like a little red circle with a number in it. That's how many emails you haven't read or Slack messages you haven't looked at or Tinder matches you haven't perused. Like here's a little interface concept, a little piece of the tool set that app designers have and that social media platforms can deploy and expect users to understand. This little dot has taken over people's lives and it's not just the dot, it's anything similar to the dot, like pop-ups, push notifications, these little things that make it look like you have tasks you need to perform and you don't like looking at the red dot, you are driven to resolve the red dot. It inspires what I imagine is some sort of almost universal feeling now. We all sort of know what the dot means. And so whatever it is and whatever it means, it does sort of connect all of these different conversations we're having. Similarly, on the lock screen of your phone, you're not just going to like let a row of notifications sit there all day. You need to resolve them in some way. So he wrote about just trying to figure out ways to like get rid of some of this anxiety. You can turn off notifications for certain apps, but that's got its problems. Because I'm more likely to turn off push notifications for apps that send a lot, which are apps that I use a lot, I actually end up getting a disproportionate number of junk notifications from apps that I like either forgot about or haven't bothered to turn off. You can also make your phone uglier is a thing that a lot of people have been doing lately. The whole grayscale thing. Yeah, you put your phone in grayscale so that it's not as like beautiful of an object. You don't want to look at it as much. I tried the black and white trick and it felt good at first, but I don't think it really worked. But most of my efforts to try to deal with getting overwhelmed by notifications, they're piecemeal like that. And sometimes they stick and sometimes they don't. Which I will say I did for less than two hours. It was unbearable because I wanted to look at Instagram and everything was in black and white. It was horrifying. (laughs) I was going back from (laughs) South by and I was sitting next to a dude who had his phone in grayscale. And I was like, oh, wow, like a real person in the wild using grayscale, like just like the New York Times trend pieces. (laughs) And then it turned out he worked in media. Oh, of course he did. (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing is that like I was having this conversation with John and he had all of these really great thoughts. But the fact of the matter is that people who work in media and people who write about phones and tech and the internet and how it affects your brain are probably the ones like vastly overthinking. I've got lots of high badge counts, but they just sort of happened. Like 5,700 on my Gmail is... Oh my God. Like these girls in Hawaii thought that they were about to be hit by a missile Mm -hmm. and they still use push notifications. What has happened to us in our cushy Manhattan office buildings that has made us so afraid. I don't know. I don't I think that I John resolved I think that about for things us. Like that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it feels like John's issues with pushes, it comes from an addiction standpoint, which is kind of mm-hmm. where you were coming from too. Whereas I guess my beef with pushes is not the addiction so much as like the mood it makes me, it puts me in. Um, so if I got yeah. a push that was like, Donald Trump tweeted today. I don't care what the tweet says. I'm just going to feel sadder with my life. Right. Like, that's just how it's going to go. So for me, it's more just like, I don't want to deal with that. I want to segment it a little bit more. I know I'm going to use my phone just as much regardless. Mm -hmm. So I guess for me, it's less of an addiction thing. Yeah, I think he was also kind of just like casting a little bit of doubt on this whole thing where you start to see patterns where these different apps as they, you know, need to meet a growth target or feel like they're becoming less relevant or just aren't hitting whatever numbers they need to hit. They they all sort of do the same things, even if they're totally different apps. So eventually HQ trivia notifications are going to start to feel sort of dull and meaningless in the same way that all these increasingly 
only specific Facebook notifications field. You know, people are trying to make their phones uglier. Technologists are kind of like apologizing for like, oh, whoops, we accidentally made your phone so addictive that it's ruining your life. Like, oh, shrug, sorry. And he was just <laughs> we didn't say, need to do that. <laughs> we didn't read s- studies about how to get you addicted. Right. No, no. Yeah. I mean, so he did kind of say it was like not so dramatic. And there's kind of like a sad old couple aspect to it where you just sometimes you see people out in the world and they're kind of bickering with each other, but they're kind of not. And you realize they've developed like a deafness to one another. And that's sort of how I feel about like my Twitter app where it's buzzing and I hear it, but our inputs aren't really reaching each other very well. And I'm just sort of fine with that. And it seems content enough that I'm at least still logging in. So I don't know. It's sort of like the grim end of every social app is that it gets louder and you hear it less. I'll say, like, I think probably the real reason that I don't have any push notifications on is that I am, like, so self-centered that really the only information that could actually interest me is a text message that's specifically for me. I don't but care about... But then what about, about Instagram? That's, like, all you. Well, I'm, I save Instagram notifications as, like, a separate That's, treat. like, a special treat. Yeah. It's you time. But I'm saying, like, that's why I would not have news or your friend Ashley's tweet is trending or something oh, like that. God. I would be like, I don't care. I mean, I don't blame you. Also, <laughs> my tweet would never trend. That's just a fact. Okay, okay where do we go from here. I don't feel like we have any answers. Well, these apps also ask you, at least for um, iOS, immediately when you download an app, the first question you'll get typically is, do you want to turn on push notifications? Yeah, and I'm always like, hell no. Yeah, and I want to know why people make that decision. So we have someone who is clearly thinking very deeply about pushes, arguably someone who's just entrenched in this tech world. And then we have regular users who are like, eh, we're into pushes. Like, We lived through the worst one and we're totally fine, unscathed. So now, because I'm totally fixated on media pushes in particular with news, we're actually going to talk to another New York Times person. His name is Eric Bishop. He actually handles all of those news pushes people get from the New York Times app. So he's the one that is considering how they're written, these push notifications, what gets a push notification, things like that. So we're going to talk to him, and hopefully he can help us understand the thought process behind the pushes, why they're being sent. Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. Hi, this is Eric. Hi, Eric. So could you explain a little bit about what your job entails? Sure. So I work on the news desk at the New York Times, which is kind of the central hub of the newsroom. In my role, I do a lot of thinking about what stories we should send push notifications for, what audiences should receive those notifications, and what the notifications should say. I also do a little bit of work with engineers and product managers and data analysts to sort of figure out our larger strategy around a lot of these things and develop new methods of storytelling with push, such as uh, including rich media like photos alongside the text in a notification. Is there an art form between writing this push notification without being incendiary and like scaring people? Because I think that's sort of what the Hawaii thing taught us. I mean, that was intense. That was insane. But it was also just like, whoa, there's no context here. It's purely just a push notification that says ballistic missile, right? So like when, when you don't have that context, context is difficult and I wonder how you balance something people are interested in but also doesn't scare them. Yeah, that can be tough. I mean, every time North Korea does a nuclear test, people tend to get scared by that kind of thing. We really just try and explain the story as clearly as possible. I would say that we're probably more conservative 
than other publishers on those sort of fast moving situations in terms of like when we're going to send an alert because we want to be really sure that something real is happening. Anyone who's sort of been on Twitter in the beginning stages of a school shooting or a terrorist attack, I mean, you know that there's a lot of stuff out there at the beginning that is unclear, it's unverified. Some of it later turns out to be wrong. We don't want to just like run with that stuff and send a notification based on tweets. So we really take great care to make sure that we can nail down the facts and be confident about our reporting before sending a notification. I mean, it is something we take very seriously. But still encourages engagement, I would assume, would be the goal as well. Yeah. I mean, basically, we want people to be informed about important things that are happening. And sometimes important things are scary. Like, I can't really think of a situation where we've sent an alert that was like on the scale of like... A missile is headed your way. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, that was like pretty next level. <laughs> well, we talked a little bit about like the double push alert that the New York Times sent out um, with the Comey memo, which is kind of like yeah. the first one is just like Trump asked him to close the investigation. And the second one is a quote. And like the quote, that's like kind of compelling, right? Like that's like why you would open this story. I mean, you probably would open the story either way, but like that second notification exists to be compelling, right? Like that's why that exists. That was a really rare thing for us. We've never done that before and we've never done it since. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we had a, a challenge with that one, which was, you know, we're breaking this huge piece of news and we really thought that quote was just very compelling and wanted to include it, but like we have limited character space and we wanted to make sure that you could still understand what we were talking about. And so in the end, we decided to sort of have it both ways by, I guess you could say like we sort of pulled the Twitter. (laughs) We gave ourselves 280 characters instead of 140. I mean, one of our operating principles is if you get a notification and you read it out loud to the person next to you, like, are they interested? Do they have a full sense of what the story is? Is the notification compelling enough that you would want to turn to the person next to you and say, hey, did you hear about this? So I think that's a case for including those kind of quotes and including those kind of like really rich details. You know, in terms of uh, freaking people out, that's something that I think we we always grapple with. I mean, I think particularly with really sensitive things, really graphic stories, you know, the Florida school shooting comes to mind. We have a healthy back and forth among newsroom editors around, is it too gory to mention somebody's bloodied shoes. Maybe it is. So maybe we can just say she had a bullet hole in her backpack and not mention the bloodied shoes. But those are like real conversations we have because we want to be empathetic to the fact that with notifications, you know, you may have signed up for notifications and enabled them on your phone, but you didn't necessarily sign up to to be confronted with something really horrible that that is going to like trigger terror and sadness. And often the news does that. But, you know, we try and be sensitive about how graphic to be with the language in our notification. Do you think notification fatigue is going to be a thing? Oh, I think it's already a thing. Every time we send a push, no matter what it is, no matter how important it is, we see a little spike in people in that hour turning off notifications from us. It's nothing to panic about. I mean, we, we send our notifications to millions of people. And if a few dozen turn it off, you know, that's sort of par for the course. But, you know, if we send a push that's maybe a little more experimental, like a feature or something like that, once in a while, we will tend to see that a spike that's a little bit higher. And then we take that into account and sort of know for next time, like, well, 
maybe that that one missed the mark. Maybe we should have sent that to a smaller audience or something like that. Sort of fine tune our strategy by taking in signals like that. We also have been doing a little bit of uh, research with our readers. We did a survey and we did an, a really interesting um, diary study where we recruited something like 30 people to give us instant feedback for notifications, uh, sometimes recording videos of themselves talking about how the notification made them feel or what it meant to them and providing written feedback every time they got an alert. And it was it was fascinating. Um, and we're really trying to listen to our readers and get a sense of, is this too much? Are they feeling too overwhelmed? Should we pare it back a little bit or maybe just send the same amount, but fine tune our audiences a little bit more so that not everybody is getting every alert. So it's something that we're constantly thinking about. Okay. So we talked to Eric. That was good. Eric knew a lot, which I suspected he would. But at the same time, I have questions. Yeah, I appreciated Eric's perspective. And as a former social media manager, I was like, I know how much you debate these seemingly idiotic decisions that probably almost no one in the real world actually cares about. <laughs> and I respect him. Yeah, I mean, energy, language Eric. is important in it, and as is a headline or whatever. Oh, God, we're just going to get straight into media talk, and this is so not exciting for all of you out there. So we're going to skip more media talk and get straight yeah. to the fact that I have more questions, which is he mentioned stuff like audience targeting. And to be honest, I didn't even know you could get that granular with push notifications. I thought it was just like, oh, send it out. Yeah. So I think what we're saying here is we have some questions that only a developer can answer. We want to understand the tech. We're going to get to the nitty gritty. Yeah. So we're actually going to go to another expert, which who knew that why'd you push that button would ever get to four interviews. But here we are with four. So we're going to talk to Christopher Dean, the CEO of a company called Swerve that specializes in push notification technology. So he's actually going to explain to us how this audience targeting works and literally just how pushes work in general, because I feel like that's actually kind of missing from this so far. So we're going to go do that. Cool. All right. So we are here with Christopher Dean, the CEO of Swerve, and Caitlin, who is actually calling us from Skype. Hey, what's up? So maybe to start, you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company and what you do. Perfect. So I'm Christopher Dean, and I am the CEO of Swerve. And we describe it as a multi-channel customer interaction platform. And we actually started off in the mobile game space about six years ago, optimizing mobile gameplay. How do you make sure a user gets onboarded and registered? And how do you make sure that they stay engaged and keep on playing the game? And we did a bunch of analytics with that, and we built a messaging platform as part of that. And that included in-app messages, like interstitial messages that would appear when you're in the application. And we built a push notification platform when we did that. And then we expanded beyond uh, games into media apps and financial services and travel and commerce uh, and uh, oper mobile operator apps and uh, positioned ourselves as a mobile marketing automation platform. I guess before I started doing this episode, I was like, oh, I could send a push notification if I like looked into it. But it sounds like I have to hire an outside company. If I was an app developer, I'd have to work with an outside company to be able to send pushes. Is that right? No, you could actually write 
custom software. And if you had an application, you could send a push notification to that application that you owned. What happens, though, is Emirates Airlines, for example, which is one of our customers, wants a rich set of ways to target their users based on the user's behavior and segmentation. They'd like analytics about whether you're opening the push notification and how you're interacting with it. They'd like to A-B test or test variations of the message before they send it to see which one performs better. And they'd like to send it not just to the mobile app, but they'd like to send it to those other devices and channels that I sent. So that's the value add that Swerve adds on top. So if you just want to send a basic notification, the same notification to many users, it's actually very easy to do. It's a broadcast push, but it's not personalized and it's not, and that's very spammy. And, uh, but if you want to send a push notification that is highly personalized and highly targeted and sent at the right time, the optimal time when you're most likely to interact with it uh, and have it be very rich and have video in it and have you be able to press a button, then you need to go hire a service or buy a service like Swerve. And that's the core value, those higher level value add pieces that we uh, that we add and provide to our customers like Emirates Airlines. So what kind of, like, what kind of audience targeting do you see, for example, like media companies is asking for the most like what have you noticed any trends in the last year or two yeah we've got to ask another question before we ask that question though which is kind of like what kind of jobs do we try to do for a media company so um, some of the big jobs that we do and help them with is when uh, when you and I download the New York Times app how does the New York Times make sure that you and I are activated and onboarded and then how do we know where the features are, like the features of the New York Times app? And like, oh boy, that navigation bar on the left-hand side, if you expand it, that's where all the sections are, right? A lot of people get lost in these apps. So that's a core part of what we do is we help you to explore the features. And then how do you get all the permissions? We help the New York Times ask you the, for the right to send you push notifications or have access to your location or use your camera or share to your contacts. So there's a bunch of permissions. So there's the first part is how do you onboard users and make sure they know how to use the app. Once they've done that, how do you then nurture the relationship with you and me, the end user, by sending personalized notifications to us so we keep on interacting with the app? Now, and then ultimately, the New York Times monetizes their app by showing some ads and by subscription. Now, how do you target users based on each of those different jobs? So we see media companies wanting to target users and remind them to come back into the app. So you can target them based on their usage. If they were actively using it, you know, three times in the last 10 days and then they stopped using the application, we could create a segment or a behavioral target based on that. And when you stop using it for three days, then we can send you a message which gives you an update on the news, for example. We see a lot of media companies wanting to build profiles based on what you're interested in. You guys may be interested in technology and sports and that they would then want to send you news that emphasizes those behaviors or those profiles. So we see a lot of past behavior targeting and current behavior targeting based on profiles and based on activity and engagement. Those tend to be a lot of the ways companies want to target. We also have the ability to target based on location and geofencing. So if you have just arrived in New York and you break the geofence that the New York Times has around New York, that could then trigger a message. So we see a lot of location targeting as well.
So for this episode, we're curious about like from the user side, like why someone would subscribe to push notifications. It sounds to me a lot of the behavioral data, like prediction you're talking about, like for a media company is the main battle just getting people to subscribe and like not annoying them to the point where they unsubscribe. Is that a a higher order metric than like click through rate? Or am I understanding this incorrectly? I think that that's pretty spot on. I mean, the most important thing, first and foremost, is to, you know, again, make sure that user gets onboarded into the app and make sure that they have a profile and we can send them information that the user cares about. And people opt in and want to receive push notifications uh, for a number of reasons. But basically, industry statistics have about 50% of the people opting in. So if you just open up the New York Times app for the first time and you see that little system notification that says, can we send you push notifications? 50% of the users say yes, which means you've just eliminated the other 50% of your audience. You can't reach out to them and to engage them and try to bring them back into the app. If you run that process in a different way and as part of the onboarding, you insert a message that says, look, we would like to send you push notifications based on your profile and your interests in uh, your specific news areas, and we will send you a customized notification once a day or when there's breaking news, and you tell the user why they should opt in before you ask them to do it you'll increase opt-in rates by 20 to 30%, and you'll move it from 50 into the 70 to 80% opt-in range. But take ESPN as a second example. So ESPN is very successful in sending personalized score updates out. And so I want to follow the scores for the uh, San Francisco Giants and the Golden State Warriors. And that's mostly about broadcasting information. It's like, you know, it's giving me the Giants are leading the Dodgers three to one, and it's just broadcast that information it doesn't, I don't actually go back into the application in that instance. It's just pushing in information that I'm interested in to me outside the application. So some of them are to you know, hook you and bring you back into the app and read the article. Some of the pushes are actually just to update you on information like a score. So with the people we talked to who were in Hawaii during the missile notification, I think what made that situation interesting to me, at least, was the fact that like people think a lot about push notifications and then to get one that is just blatantly false at least to me, really kind of upsets the entire system that we're working with. And I wonder if for you, when you heard that story, if you were like, whoa, this like really disrupts our business and like is going to make people turn off push notifications more, or if you were worried at all about the effects of that event. Yeah, I absolutely. So in Swerve system, you know, you have user administration and rights and different people have different rights and there's a workflow. So before someone could send a broadcast notification to everybody in Hawaii saying there's a missile uh, attack, there's a review step in Swerve and that would not have happened. So there are, particularly when it comes to um, public notifications like that, there need to be processes and there need to be administrators and that is what failed in that instance and that is what broke down. And that caused, uh, you know, panic and a consternation. So that was very, very concerning. The flip side of that is I think it also proves if there had been a real threat, we do see those notifications being used very effectively for, um, you know, flood warnings and a variety of other things. And that is the core way to reach the most users out there today with the right device, this new modern device that we have in our hands constantly. So I think it's very powerful. We just have to be 
careful with it and use it properly and have, uh, and the organizations that send those notifications have to have the right workflow and the right administrative process associated with it in order to, to use it uh, safely. Yeah, it seems like it is a very powerful tool. It does get our attention. I will say, I was talking to Caitlin before this, and I think a lot of people complain about HQ. You've seen HQ, right? Uh, I haven't. What's HQ? It's this trivia game, and it's on your phone, and they send push notifications every time they do a game, right. which like makes sense because they need people to get in and participate. But wow, is it annoying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I played, my kids are playing one of these live trivia games. I don't know if it was HQ. but It's probably uh, HQ, yeah. <laughs> we talked about it mostly because it's like, if you see to don't see them until later, then it's like, you missed your chance to win a bunch of money. They become like real bummer town push notifications. Well, and for me, I'm just like, I don't want to play anymore. And also, I ignore it once, and then the game always breaks. Right. So then I get another one an hour later that's like, we're back. And I'm like, wow, I already ignored you once. Now I'm getting this again. Oh, my God. First of all, one, I think that's a very bad practice, and it's very clickbaity. I mean, it's taking clickbait strategies and applying it to push, and all I think that will ultimately do in the end is annoy you as the user quickly, and you will delete the app. So you should be able to throttle, and you should be able to control the number of notifications that you want and provide feedback to an app saying, hey, cut it out, right? Um, or I, I will just turn the notifications off uh, entirely, right? So games are very insistent that way. And it's interesting, most of the best practices on sending push notifications in the right way uh, have come out of mobile gaming, but there are also a lot of you know examples, that one being a good one, of them misusing the channel and, uh, and annoying you. Well, now if we're on the topic of bad push notifications, I want to bring up two things. One is I've seen on Instagram a lot that a lot of influencers, so people with a lot of followers, complain about Instagram constantly pushing them to turn on push notifications. They get so upset because they're like, I do not want to turn these on. I would get too many. And then in the same vein, um, I know a lot of people with Tinder get very annoyed either with A, the thirsty pushes they send that are like, you have 100 new matches. You should really check the app. And then two, if they don't have pushes on at the top of the app, it always says, please turn on push notifications. And it just seems like there is a little bit of an annoyance of companies wanting this access. Is it just because once they've lost it, they know they've lost a crucial way to get into our eyeballs? It is the primary way to drive engagement into an application the moment you've downloaded it. I mean, if you think about the whole ad world of Facebook and Instagram on app downloads, that's the whole media world. People are spending 30 plus billion dollars a year advertising and trying to get you to download the app. And what Swerve does, and we think we do well for brands, is the moment you've downloaded the app, how do you walk the customer through that journey of onboarding into nurturing through personalized interactions and then ultimately to get them to use the app, really monetize, monetization, whether you want them to buy something or date a lot of people on Tinder or watch a movie or buy an airplane ticket. So um, that's why those brands are so actively chasing everybody to do it, because uh, if you look at an average game, uh, it loses in the range of 80% of all of its users within 90 days. And if you make if you turn push notifications on and you do them in the right way without annoying users you can retain 10 or 20 percent more of those users and you can use other channels to re-engage users if if you stop using the tinder app 
you can, if they have a multi-channel system like Swerve, you could trigger an SMS or you could trigger an email or you could trigger a browser-based push notification on your desktop. Those are other ways to re-engage, but the principal way you want to try to re-engage a user is, is to use push notifications with relevant content that is, that is uh, intriguing and is properly targeted and is personalized. And that's a best practice. So that's why they want them on. So just to be very clear, so in iOS, if you've said no to the system prompt, the iOS system prompt, you know, if Tinder asks you, can we send you push notifications, and it's the iOS system prompt and you've said no, Tinder can't keep asking you. You have to go into your system preferences uh, on the Tinder app and change it. So, um, you know, if they've asked you in a different way, if they've not used the system prompt and they've asked you with an interstitial message that says, hey, we want to send you push notifications because you're going to see get more dates, and, and you said, no, they can keep asking you there. So um, some of those guys may actually be off terms of service in what they're doing. I don't think Instagram is. I'm sure Tinder's not. I'm glad we talked about Tinder notifications because I think they're like the most heinous ones that exist, worse than HQ. <laughs> they're really bad. They're like, your profile's been inactive. You need to log in now and see your swipes or whatever. It's like three people swiped right on you. Like start swiping and you'll find them in eight hours or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, They'll eventually show up. <laughs> you know, I mean, they are, they're just hooking into your FOMO issues, right? And that's what they're trying to do. I mean, the other thing that a lot of apps do as well is they update the badge, you know, the little round circle with the number of messages in it, and they, and they call it badge anxiety. So they are using, you know, uh, human behavior t- as best they can to the edge of annoyance to try to get you to come back into the application. And the more you're back in that application, the more active you are, they think, and the more engaged you'll be and the, and the less likely you will to churn and the more you will monetize. So that's, that's the, the psychologist. Well, that's the, what they're attempting to do for sure. It sounds like they have pushed it too far in that instance, and it's become an annoyance, which means they'll get people bouncing out of the app Uh, and uninstalling based on those requests. Well, luckily, you're providing them with the data to figure out that they're doing that and then come up with a different way to manipulate us. Well, the whole point of what we're (laughs) trying to do... Highly targeted. Highly targeted. No, the whole point of what we're trying to do is to find the right segment of one and to send the right message. It's not to overwhelm people with messages. It's the exact opposite of that. It's to send the right message so that you actually take action. And that's when done well, that's the brilliance of the, all of the behavioral data that comes off of the phone is that we can give you the right message at the right time and have it be functional and, and have it solve your problem, deliver you utility rather than spamming you with lots and lots of messages. So if they're spamming you with lots and lots of messages, then they don't understand the lessons that and the power of the platform today. Yeah, I guess if Tinder was like, hey, Ashley, uh, Guess what? A guy who also likes to eat pizza and thinks Daniel Day-Lewis using a flip phone is amazing <laughs> swiped right on you. You should probably turn on push notifications. I would probably be like, you know what? You're right, Tinder. You got it. Good job. Yeah. Well, they clearly don't have the behavioral targeting down and it's not meaningful and it's an annoyance. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This definitely has helped us a lot. Thank you very much. made it through a lot of interviews here but we're pushing it we're going through it's a long episode i told you guys right from the onset this was going to be a big one so caitlin are you going to turn on push notifications for everything now no we're going to keep them off (laughs) 
If anything, I would say this episode has made me less likely to turn on push notifications. I think what we learned from our interviews with Eric and then when we talked about Swerve was that the main goal of a push notification is just to make you open an app and simultaneously the secondary goal is to not annoy you to the point where you turn the push notifications off Mm -hmm. so the only goal of the push notification is go to an app don't get annoyed with us enough to leave like those two things are not two things that I need someone manipulating me into doing if I want to go to an app I'll go to an app I'm never going to turn on push notifications and I don't want to be part of someone's like click-through rate metrics like it just upsets me to think about being one of those bodies right just don't want to do it like I just don't think it is helpful to see like a news headline show up on your phone like it's not going to give you any useful information it's also just going to like keep you in this like state of panic and well and that's what Eric that in my life about summer was how the wording they choose has to be correct because if they send one thing like missile incoming that obviously would panic you, but it would also get you to open. So it's kind of like this delicate balance of how much do you give in the push versus getting them to engage. Frankly, I was annoyed with Eric for not indulging my interest in what kind of like emotional stakes there are for him in writing a push notification. (laughs) Can you imagine being the person who's like personally terrorizing like whatever, however many people in the United States subscribe to the New York Times push notifications, probably like 140. But you're doing that. I mean, he has the power. All of them have the power. We don't have any power except to turn them off. Exactly. You should exercise your power where where you can. That's here's, all I'm Here's saying. my thing. I mean, I'm never going to turn pushers on for news, but that's just because I'm hyper-connected. I'm going to read the news no matter what because it's my job. And I perversely enjoy it. But also, it's like the advertising argument where people are like, oh, well, like, I don't really care if Facebook has all my data because ultimately, if my advertisements are way better, like if it knows I want to buy a new dress from whatever brand and it like just instinctively knows that's what I want, that's great because then I get a better advertising experience and I'd rather have better ads than really unrelatable ones. So I feel like that's kind of how it, it might be with pushes eventually where it's like, okay, we're trying to target you so well with data that we know what pushes are going to get to you specifically like what's going to make you engage which is kind of scary but maybe it's a good thing I mean part of my annoyance with pushes is that they're so bad a lot of them like HQ which we talked about with Chris is so obscenely annoying because of the fact that it just is relentless yeah and it's not personalized and the same thing with tinder where it's like Tinder will say, you have so many new likes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's just a general push. It doesn't feel actually like it's for you. Uh, Yeah, sure. The thing is, like, I do not need the level of convenience that is someone telling me exactly which dress to buy in an ad because oh, like, yeah. I'll be, I would spend myself into a poorhouse, first of all, if every advertising advertisement was something I actually wanted to buy. And like that level of customization in your push notifications too would like sometimes be just like uncomfortable and unnerving. Like, I don't you know, like Instagram ad targeting is very good mm-hmm. already. And that can be like stressful a lot of the times. I mean, especially I think lots of people have written about this and we might have talked about it previously. But like as a woman, like a lot of the targeted Instagram ads are like pregnancy tests yeah. and things like that, which like can stress you out. That totally. can stress you out. Oh, I just sure. don't I don't want things targeted to me so specifically that I'm like in a constant state of terror 
that like the ads <sighs> know something about my body that I don't. Honestly, or, like, <laughs> I was hoping that this this episode might end on a positive note, but I think what we've actually discovered is that push notifications from the push text side will get better Mm -hmm. but from the user side will get worse because we will be so targeted and that's kind of scary yeah well i mean everyone's going to turn their push notifications off after listening to this episode so you guys are welcome for saving (laughs) you from the next tech dystopia all right well that feels like a perfectly fine place to end and i feel this is a discussion that will perhaps keep going not with Caitlin because she doesn't want to talk about this, but with other people. I feel perhaps we bit off more than we could chew with this episode. Asking why people turn on push notifications is kind of like asking why people like go out their front door or like make a phone call. I guess. I mean, the answer would probably be it's like why do you, you want, want a info phone? from these specific apps? Right. There's reasons pushes could be useful. I think it's just not all the apps do it well, which is most of the apps don't do it well. So yeah. All right. Well, that is the end of this long, arduous episode. You survived. We survived. We're all here. Everyone's breathing still, I think. Caitlin, are you alive still? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I know I was really dragging my feet about this, but I think ultimately it was interesting. Whoa. Who knew I could receive a compliment from Caitlin Tiffany? (gasps) Oh, my God. That's insane. (laughs) Literally yesterday, I told you that your vinyl pants looked so good, I would murder you if you returned them. Oh, my God. All right. We got to end this episode. As always, email us at buttonattheverge.com or follow Caitlin slash DM. I'm her on Twitter, K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. You can find me on Twitter at Ashley R. Carmen. And that's it. Yeah. See you next episode. Bye. <laughs>